One of our values, our core values here at Fellowship Bible Church is um, this whole um, idea of the family, loving our families, knowing what God's Word has to say about the value of the family, marriages and raising our kids, and that's a core value. How can we as followers of Jesus Christ love our families? And we've raised that, that bar a little bit. We're, we're raising that focus uh, this year starting uh, because of our home center that we've started out here, providing resources. We are very concerned and very um, committed to the reality that discipleship, first and foremost, takes place at home. Uh, we may have children here for one hour a week, and there's 168 hours a week that are in your home. And so how can we, as a church, resource parents so that the discipleship process takes place at home primarily. And then we can partner with you in that. And so through our home center, through our family life ministry, uh, we are putting out a lot of resources like uh, this campaign that we're just starting called Synced. And we provided these little brochures last week, and there's more of them if you didn't get one out in that home center. Synced with God, synced with um, our families, with one another, synced with technology. And this 120-day campaign that we launched last week is focusing on that idea of how can we smartly, wisely use technology? What are the things we should focus on? What are the things we should be concerned about? There's a little simple brochure where there's back at the home center called 360 Family that is entitled Five Steps to Protecting Your Digital Reputation please grab it. Uh, we're providing that for you today. And each month over these next four months, we're going to provide more resources related to this. How do we maneuver the choppy, dangerous waters of modern technology? John Avery, our pastor of family ministry, shared last week, and this morning we have with us uh, the privilege of having with us uh, Brian Hausman from Memphis, Tennessee. Brian and his wife Mona have been uh, a part of equipping parents and and, and teen ministry for 25 years. 14 years ago, Brian started this ministry, 360 Family. Speaks all over the world. Um, I would call him a, 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 an expert in that whole area of, of parenting and, and, and how, how parents can connect more authentically and, and deeply with their teens, and then how teens can connect more authentically with the heart of God. It's so crucial today. It's so needed. And Brian is here to share with us his Ministry 360 uh, family. Uh, we'll that we have information about their website, but that ministry has recently launched an online parenting course. And it's 52 weeks, one each week for the year, that uh, provides um, uh, videos and audios, podcasts, um, um, just resource material every week for parents, grandparents to um, uh, be better equipped. And FBC uh, bought a, um, a membership to that. So anyone of us here at FBC can go to that, red, uh, that website, screensmarts.org slash fellowship Winchester. In fact, uh, Brian will walk us through that probably in just a moment. But you can get on that website and get signed up to receive this information. You know, again, don't, don't think we're just, that we don't really believe this thing called the value of loving the family. We really, really do. And we really, really want 
moms and dads and grandparents to get resourced on how we can raise that value within our home. So we want to help you do that. We want to help you do that. And that's why Brian Hausman is with us today. As we continue this, this 120-day campaign, Brian is going to come and share with us some really, really important truths about how we can impact our families. So as Brian comes and share with us, would you bow your head, please, so that, Father, we can commit this time to you and know that you've got some really important things that you want to share with us today. So may we be attentive to what your Holy Spirit wants to communicate to us and change us and transform us with today. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks, Brian. Amen. Thank you. Wow, uh, I appreciate the introduction and uh, referring to me as an expert uh, in anything may be an overstatement. Um, uh, I, the Lord has allowed me to, to uh, have a lot of influence in media, and I've done about 40 interviews on Fox News, ABC, NBC News affiliates around the country. So a lot of times when I'll travel to a different community, they'll ask if I could come be on their morning show or their you know, afternoon network or that kind of thing. And it was funny, I was actually in my hometown uh, in Memphis, and they had had me on probably 20 times. Like anytime there was some issue with teenagers in the community, they would call and say, can we come get a soundbite from you? And I was like, okay, okay I've just written a book, you know? And so anyway, one day I'm on the morning show and, you know, it, it was the most popular morning show in, in our city. But uh, anyway, it was on Fox News and the guy's introducing me to talk about some technology issues. And he said, well, we've got back in our studio this morning, our local parenting expert, Brian Hausman. And I started laughing live on the air. And I said, okay, can we just pause for all eight of you out there watching right now, which I'm sure they didn't appreciate. And I said, there is no such thing as a parenting expert. We are all just flying by the seat of our pants, trying to keep up with our kids, yes? As a matter of fact, what we're really trying to do as parents is we're trying to fool our teenagers enough to make them think that we know what we're doing, right? We're in reality, we really don't. Like, I mean, are you a teenager? Like, I mean, I'll tell you a secret. Here's a secret that your parents don't want you to know, okay? Like, this is a really insider secret. We don't know what we're doing. We really don't. Like, you, you guys are our guinea pigs. We've never been parents before. We don't. Like, and we didn't have to take a class in it. We didn't have to have a license. Like, like I mean, look, you have to have a license to have a gun and drive a car, not have a kid, you know? I mean, it's crazy, which is why we do dumb things sometimes as parents, don't we? I mean, honestly, I, I think one of the greatest gifts as a teenager that you can give your parents is just the gift of grace. Because sometimes we just, we mess up royally. We really do. And we just got to laugh at ourselves sometimes as parents. We give out punishment punishments that are completely unjust, you know? We say things that are ridiculous, like, I, because I said so. I mean, like, yeah, that, that really flew over well. I just soothed my spirit as a teenager to hear you say that one right there, you know? Which, uh, this was a freebie. had nothing to do with the message, by the way. Um, haven't even gotten into that. But, um, yeah, I, I, um, I'm so excited that your church got the license for Screen Smarts. Uh, we launched this less than six months ago, and there's already thousands, literally thousands and thousands of parents that have signed up for this. And and uh, for 52 weeks that you and I will get to spend six minutes together every Monday morning at 8 o'clock. And matter of fact, this is what I want you to do. If you got your phones, I want you to pull out your phones right now. Like, I'm actually telling you, take out your phones in church, you know? So take out your phones and, uh, or whatever you're on, and all you got to do is type in that, that address at the bottom. It's going to take you to a very simple registration screen. It's going to ask for your name, your phone number, your email address, your blood type. No, not really. And, um, and then you just hit yes, and then you're subscribed, and then... 
starting tomorrow. You know, you and I will get to spend some time together. It may be the next Monday. But anyway, and uh, every every Monday for six minutes, there'll be a podcast or a a video to watch, uh, uh, an article to read, and then one question to ask your child or teenager that week so that you guys can begin to learn how to engage technology together as a family. Because I really do believe that God wants us to spend time together. He wants our faith to be a family faith. And regardless if you are, you know, a, a young adult who is single here or you're widowed or divorced or living life on your own or whatever, that we are all still part of a family. I mean, we all got here somehow, yes? And, and regardless if your family is who you are by, by, by marriage or adoption or remarriage or however you've come together as a family, that I believe that God intentionally knit you guys together the way that you are. You know, I have a, a, um, a good friend of mine who is, they've adopted six children, and they literally look like, like you, should, you feel like everywhere they share, they should have the It's a Small World theme song playing because they have kids from all over the world. And um, so they got like buku worth of college scholarship funds, you know, for having these international kids. But anyway, um, I, I look at their family, then I look at our pasty white kids in our home, you know, and I'm thinking like, we, we are so both a family, you know, and, and God wants us to engage each other others spiritually as a family. Um, we, we do lots of outdoor activities as a family. We, um, I, I grew up running a, an outdoors camp, and so I learned how to do all kinds of kind of a jack-of-all-trade. You have to know how to do everything from tying knots to fixing plumbing when you're running a camp. And um, my family, we do anything outdoors, whether it's kayaking, backpacking, spelunking, but our favorite activity is rock climbing. And um, my kids have grown up rock climbing since they were three and five, and you know, then you're not really rock climbing when you're a three-year-old. You're basically, you're on a harness and your dad is hoisting you up, you know, the side of the mountain. Um, but nonetheless, uh, they've grown up doing this in our family, and there's, there's two different things, ways that you have to do this, because I'm sure all of you are experts in rock climbing, so you know, you, you could just, you know, I, I don't know, just sit there and act like you don't know what I'm talking about, okay? So anyway, what will you do is, you know, when you're climbing up the side of the cliff, you've got a belay person, that's your safety, and that's usually me, and it's hooked into a rope that goes all the way to the top to an anchor and then back down to you, and as you climb, I just keep pulling out the slack so that if you slip and fall, you really can't fall. Like, it, it, and honestly, it's one of the safest things. You, you, you're going to get less hurt right climbing than you will canoeing, you know, and um, especially if you're canoeing with your spouse. And so, but anyway, nonetheless, so you really can't get hurt. But the only person that can really, it's at risk, is the first person that climbs the route because they're called the lead climber. And there are these anchors in the rock. This is me at the top of the cliff, and I'm, I'm taking a picture down on my family. So there's these anchors about every 10 to 15 feet that you clip yourself into, then it goes back down to your belayer. So if you slip and fall right before you clip into another anchor, well, you don't fall down to the next anchor. You fall, you know, like a pendulum all the way, like, you know, 20, 30 feet. And I, I've taken about a 25-foot fall before, and as long as you know how to fall, it's going to be okay. And so, um, anyway, I'm always the lead climber, because it's a little riskier. You really got to know what you're doing, and you get, you're carrying everything with you, your carabiners and harnesses and ropes, everything up to, uh, as you climb. So my family, again, they've been doing this for a long, long time, and we hiked in about a mile in to this place that we usually go climb, and we finally get there, and I'm unfurling un, uh, the harnesses, I mean, the, 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 the canvas to lay the harnesses and ropes on, and my son came up, and he said, hey, Dad, what about if I lead climb this time? 
And I was like, well, I, you, you've never led a route before. Like, matter of fact, everyone that goes with us rock climbing, they've never led a route before. I'm always the one that has to lead it. Like, they want me to put my life in danger basically every time. And so I, I said, are, are you feel comfortable with this? And he said, yeah, sure. And so we stepped back from the, the, the cliff, and we're looking at it. And it's about a 60-foot face, rock face, you know, I don't know, twice as tall as this room. And, uh, and I literally walked him through every handhold and every foothold, you know, from the ground. I was like, are you sure you can do this? He was like, yeah, I can do it. I said, you get you, your harness tight? And he was like, yeah. And I said, you, get, you got the, your ropes tied correctly? And he was like, yes. And he goes, Dad, you don't have to worry. And I said, why do I not have to worry? And he said, I've been watching you do it for years. And as long as I do it the same way that you do it, then I'll be okay. And I thought, wow, there are so many applications there, not to rock climbing, but really just applications to life in general, that our our children are who they are because we are who we are. You know, I, I, I know, some of us, especially as teenagers, you hate to hear that because people come up to you all the time and they're like, oh my gosh, you look so much like your mother. And you're like, oh no, please, I don't want to look anything like my mother, you know? Or you talk just like your dad and you're like, no, 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 my voice sounds nothing like him. Like we just want to, you know, like, because we, we want to be our own person and do our own thing. And, you know, and then you find yourself growing up and, and then now you're like a parent or a grandparent and you find yourself like holding your fork the same way your dad held his fork or your posture is the same way as your mother's and you're like, oh, no, it's happened. I've become them, you know, and it's inevitable. That's just the way life works, that, you know, we're the product of where we came from, for better or worse. And in fact, there was, it's the same thing spiritually as well, not just in terms of our personalities or, or our, 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 our value systems, but it's the same thing when it comes to our spiritual lives, that our children, they are who they are because we are who we are spiritually. And in fact, there's been these studies that have been done and for decades now in the church, we've been bantering around these statistics that we've had no basis in reality for uh, concerning how many teenagers, once they leave home, once they grow up from their, under their parents and inside of the church, once they leave home and go off to college, how many of them are going to remain faithful to their faith? Are they gonna, they're going to have what we call a sticky faith, a faith that remains outside of their church experience. So Fuller Theological Seminary in Pasadena, California, about eight years ago, they did a longitudinal study where it's a multi-year-long study. They tracked 500 teenagers, roughly, from middle school all the way through post-college. And they wanted to find out these teenagers were all growing up in the same faith environment, the same kind of church, the same home environment, the same type of youth group. And so once they left out of high school, went off to the college experience, how many of them were going to have a faith that remained? And they found out that roughly 55% of all teenagers are going to leave their faith. They will no longer be followers of Christ once they go off to college. They found out of, the, of those 55%, roughly about a third of them are going to come back to their faith once they get married and begin to have children. Now, I know that for some of us, we can look at that and say, whew, that's a good thing. A third of them came back. Well, two-thirds of them didn't. But also the third that did come back, this is why I think it's such a tragedy now, I, I know you were saying that, like, you know, some of the greatest times of influence in your life is when you're in your elder years. But the time of your life when you have more availability of time and resources, when you have more excitement, when you're willing to take more risks, is when you're in, like, 18 to 28. 
I mean, that's when we have people going off to the mission field, like, you know, deciding to start new businesses and nonprofits and, and taking master's courses in college. And, you know, you're willing to do just crazy, audacious things in your 20s. So basically, the time of our lives with our young people, young adults, where they can make the most impact for the kingdom of God is the time in which they have walked away from their faith. So then they begin to interview those, the other 45%, who remained faithful outside once they left home to find out what was different about these 45%. And they found out that there's about three or four things that they saw consistently in their, in their lives. And it's the same things that we see true in the life of Timothy, who was a young protege of Paul in the New Testament. And this guy, Paul, you, you know of him, he, he wrote many of the letters in the New Testament. And so one of them, he, he goes to this young man named Timothy, and he begins to mentor him and disciple him. And he even wrote him a couple of different letters, First and Second Timothy. We're going to look at a passage this morning. If you have your Bibles, you can open with me to First. I'm sorry, to Second Timothy, in chapter one, and we're going to look and look at their relationship and see how it applies to your relationship with your kids. All right. So I'm going to read the passage first in Second Timothy one five through eight. It says, I have been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives also in you. For this reason, I remind you to fan and deflame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power and love and self-discipline. So do not, do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me as his prisoner. Well, the first thing that they found in the lives of these students that left high school, their home life, home church, and they remained true to their faith, was that there had been a spiritual foundation laid early on in their lives. And we see the same thing is true in Timothy's life. Paul says to Timothy in verse 5, I've been reminded of your faith which was first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and now I see is alive in you also. So here, here it is. He, he's helping Timothy, who was struggling in his faith by this point in his life. He was struggling with his security. He was struggling with his, his identity as a leader, and Paul was helping him to remember who he is in Christ. And he says, I see this faith that's in you because of your mother and your grandmother. Now remember, this is a very male-dominant culture. So if his father and grandfather were people of faith, I would think he probably would have mentioned them. And so instead he says, I, I know that you are who you are because early on in your life, your mother and your grandmother, two generations back, they have helped you lay a spiritual foundation in your life. You know, and the same thing is true of those students that are going to, if you want your children to grow up and to leave your home and continue in your faith, then you must lay a spiritual foundation early in life. Some of us, we kind of take, uh, take it for granted that, that raising a child can be somewhat easier than raising a teenager. I, I remember when my kids were young, and we would talk about how much fun we have with our kids. Man, we love having children. We did. They're just so precocious, and, the, you know, they, they do silly things, and, you know, they're just so full of energy. And we would talk about this, and other parents at church, they would say to us, oh, you just wait till they get to middle school. And we were like, middle school? What, what happens in middle school? Well, then our, our kids got to middle school, and we were like, middle schoolers are awesome. Oh, my gosh, their brains don't work, and, then, and they're so full of emotions and hormones, and, you know, they're constantly, like, crying one minute and yelling the next minute, and, and it, just, it was just so fun for us. And then people would say, oh, 
you just wait till your kids get to high school then. And we're like, high school? What happens in high school? That sounds so bad. And our kids got to high school, we're like, high schoolers rock. Like, their brains are awake, and they can have real conversations. And, you know, they drive themselves, and I don't have to be a chauffeur anymore. And we love having high schoolers, you know. And in every phase of life, we've really enjoyed it. It's almost like people try to terrify you, don't they, as parents? of like, what's happening next? And now my kids are in college, and we're loving that one too. I mean, it's just so fun walking with them every step of the way. But what happens, I think, a lot of times when our kids are young, we kind of take it at advantage that, well, this is easy. You know, you change their diapers, you feed them, you give them a place to live, and, you know, you say yes and no a lot of times, and, you know, and the, it, things work out. And by the time they get to high school, middle school, we're like, oh, no, now I don't know what to do, so I'm going to bring my kids to church, and I'm going to bring them into youth group, and that'll fix them. Because they got volunteers there that love teenagers, and they can help fix my kid. Now, I've been spending the last two or three days with your staff, with your volunteers. Matter of fact, there's about 150 teenagers at a retreat center now. They're going to come home, and they're going to fall asleep, hopefully, when they get home and give you a nice, peaceful afternoon, you know, to finish your, your restful weekend. I hope you've taken advantage of this weekend and uh, away from them. But anyway, there's about 150 teenagers over there, and there's all these volunteers who love working with your kids. You got a whole lot of people working in your children's ministry. They love teaching God's word to your children and singing songs and playing with Play-Doh and, you know, things like that, making crafts with your kids. But I want you to get this. It is not their job to disciple your children. It's their job, your staff, your volunteers, it's their job to make you the rock stars of your family. It's their stars to elevate your, their responsibility to elevate your authority as mom and dad and grandparents so that you can do this once in a lifetime privilege of partnering with a God to disciple your children. And it starts early by laying a spiritual foundation. One of the ways that we can do that is by incorporating uh, spiritual, uh, spiritual disciplines, making spiritual disciplines a normal part of your family experience. You know, disciplines like, like quietness, disciplines like reading God's word, serving, in the, uh, serving um, uh, being gener having a generous heart, worship. These are all spiritual disciplines, things that basically as we do them more and more, they become part of our spiritual DNA. You know, just as if, you know, you work out every day. I, I, I've never worked out in my life, and about six months ago, I started working out. I'm telling you, man. For the first time in my life, one day my wife said, you have abs. I'm like, whoa, this is a different experience for me, you know? But it has been so hard doing this every day because I'm telling you, I don't enjoy any of it, none of it. I do not like working out. But I do it because then my wife goes, you have abs. And it makes the whole thing worth it, you know? And it's the same thing. When we read God's word, when we worship, when we serve, when we, when we do these things with our children spiritually, it's laying a spiritual foundation in their life. My wife, she's much smarter than I am when it comes to spiritual issues, and she knew that if she ever has, uh, is going to spend time with God, she would have to do it in the morning before our kids got up. You know, of course, this is, you know, they're in college now, but many years ago, because she knew that, you know, once the kids get up, all, all bets are off, she gets any alone time. Right, Mom? You know, because the chaos has, has uh, now consumed the home. And so she would get up early in the morning to go spend time, and she really connects with God outdoors. So she would sit in the hammock out in the backyard. So one day my kids came in early in the morning and Bailey said, uh, Dad, I can't find Mom. I, she's not in the kitchen and she's not in her bathroom. Do you know where Mom is? And Ashlyn was about three years old at the time, or four, and she goes, Bailey, don't you know Mom is outside spending time with God? 
Now, there's only one way this four-year-old would know that her mother is spending time with God outside, and it's because she caught her spending time day after day with God outside. So one day, about two years later, I get up, and my habit was not to get up early, but instead to take coffee outside to her when I got up, and I walked to the back door, and there was my daughter, then about six years old, and she's sitting in the hammock next to my wife with her little kid's Bible. And I took a picture, and I had it framed, and underneath it, I just hand-wrote the words from one generation to the next, because this is how it happens when we take time to invite our children into the, the, the things that God is doing in us, our spiritual disciplines, your children will learn how to serve by watching you serve. They learn how to work. I love seeing kids in here. So many churches I go to, the kids are far off and teenagers are far off and it's the adults in here. And then we got nothing to talk about over lunch because we're learning to, all doing different things. But when we get to come together and worship. I mean, sometimes these little kids, you know, they, they, they turn to their mom and go, hey, why was dad raising his hands during that song? Or why were you crying during the message today? As they just see you worship, they learn to worship. When they see you serve, they learn to serve. My kids, since they were uh, two and four years old, was the first time they went to a homeless shelter. We have a, a men's shelter in our community, and every year during Thanksgiving week, we would take our little kids and we would go serve meals at this shelter for one afternoon. I remember seeing my daughter, she's about three or four years old with a little food tray carrying it into these homeless men, and they would just scoop her up and sit in their lap, and there was nothing weird about it. These aren't crazy people. They're just, they've made some poor choices, and now to have this human contact, you could just see their whole countenance change. And so they've grown up year after year after year learning that we are going to serve as a family. My son, you know, his first year at college, he came home for, for Thanksgiving break. You know what he said when he walked in the door? Hey, Dad, are we going to Union Rescue Mission this week? Because it's become part of his DNA that this is what we do as a family, not as my kids. I think it's one thing to say to your teenagers, hey, you should you guys go serve. You, you should volunteer the VBS. You should go uh, do whatever. But it's a whole other thing to say as a family, we're going to do this together. You know, that my kids, they've just grown up reading God's word. You know, since they were wee little bitty things, you know, we would get up in the mornings and, you know, you're sitting at the breakfast table. You got about eight minutes before the bus comes or before you got to, you know, shove the homework in the backpacks and get the kids out the door. And so we're sitting there eating cocoa pebbles and we would take about 30 seconds to read two verses of scripture. It doesn't have to be a 30 minute, you know, family devotional. Yeah, that's going to go over real well with a six-year-old. You know, but no, just read a couple of verses, maybe in the car. You know, as you're taking your kids to school, that last block that always takes the longest, maybe you turn the radio off and just have somebody in the car pray on the way to school. Just for a moment. It doesn't have to be long and awkward. But you're just, you know, saying that as a family, this is what we're going to do. We're going to connect with God together. We're going to connect with our neighbors together. My kids, they've learned how to engage their neighborhood because we've taught them how to do this since they were little. You know, every, every new neighbor that moves to the neighborhood gets a fresh baked loaf of bread from us. Because we just make bread, and it doesn't cost us anything. And we go over and meet our new neighbors, and we live in a very multicultural neighborhood. We got my neighbors right here is a single mother from Venezuela. The neighbors across the street are from Guatemala. My neighbors here are undocumented immigrants from Mexico. My two neighbors' streets, uh, two houses down, are a retired elderly couple in their 70s, single African-American mom with three girls over here, white father, African-American mother with two uh, daughters over here. And we've told our children, you better get used to this neighborhood, because this is what heaven's going to look like. They're not all pasty white people like us. And so we go and we meet our neighbors. And guess what my daughter did when she, we dropped her off to college just two months ago. 
She, she sends me a text message at night, and she was like, Dad, things are so great. She said, I went and knocked on every door on my floor, and we're all going to dinner tonight. Like, she's learned how to, how to engage in community with people because she values people because we've taught her that all of us, regardless of what our faith or what their orientation, that all of us are made in God's image, and we have a responsibility to go love people with the love of God. So, you know, the other thing that we can do to lay this spiritual foundation is let your children see you living faith on a daily basis. I know this is hard for us because in many ways I think we've talked about issues of faith so wrong in our Western culture. And, and I don't know if it's because, you know, of the arrogance of Americans or because we're capitalists or what, and we make life so individualistic. But we even talk about it when it comes to faith. We talk about, you know, your, your personal walk with Jesus, you know, your personal quiet time. You know, even when you, when you bring up faith in conversations with people, they'll say, well, that's, that's a personal thing. I don't think it's a personal thing at all. I really don't. Yes, I am walking with the Lord. Like, for instance, you are walking with the Lord, and she's walking with the Lord, and he's walking with the Lord. But together, you're on a spiritual journey as well. Yes? And that's when things just get so fun in family. When you see that, that all of you together on this journey being reformed in the image of God. And so, you know, we just begin to do this with our kids, you know, things like, um, let's say tomorrow, maybe you're, you're the carpool mom or dad, and you're taking your kid to school, and, you know, you get to that last block that takes the longest, and you turn the radio off, and you say, hey, is there anything I can pray for you about while you're at school today? And your teenager's going to go, I, I don't know. And that's okay. They're just not used to you asking that. Maybe you say, you know, I got to have this meeting with a friend, a coworker today, and I'm really not looking forward to it. I, we just don't get along very well. And if you think about it, could you just pray for me today? Maybe, maybe today on the way home from church, you're going you're gonna to be in the car or sitting at lunch with your kids, and you're going to go, wasn't that the most amazing speaker you ever heard in your life? And, you know, I'm just kidding. And, 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 and you're going to say to your kids, what, what did you think about the message today? And your kid's going to go, I don't know. And that's okay. They're not used to you asking. And then you respond and you share something that the Lord was teaching you during our time together during worship this morning. You know, maybe it's, maybe it's uh, just something you hear on the radio, some question you have about life, and you ask your kids about it instead of you being the authority to teach them all the time. Because then you're inviting them into the spiritual journey that you guys are on together. The third one is this, to lay a spiritual foundation, is look for teachable moments to share truth with your kids. I don't mean have a long conversation about moral issues. It's not a life lesson about how important it is to clean up your room. I mean just these teachable moments, these little opportunities that come along just like this and then disappear. Teachable moments don't stay. They're not awkward conversations. They're just opportunities to share something and then move on again. When my kids were younger, we used to homeschool because we were trying to raise weirdos and I'm just kidding. If you homeschool, you got to have thick skin, okay? I mean, you got to be able to make fun of yourself. We homeschooled K through 12, all right? So we are like the tops of weirdos in our church. And anyway, we were, we, were, we were homeschooling, and sometimes we would go to the mall to play in the middle of the day because, you know, you can do that as homeschoolers. Look, kids, there's furniture. Go play on it. And so um, we would, uh, uh, every once in a while, there, when we were walking through the mall, I would say to my kids, I like your shoes, and that was a code to my children. That if I ever said I like your shoes, they're supposed to kind of look down at their feet as we're walking through the mall. 
Again, we were raising weirdos. But really, the reason why we did this is because there was a woman at our, at our store, at our, our mall, and she has a store there in our mall, and um, her name is Victoria. And uh, oh, you, you know her? Yeah. And, um, and she has lots of secrets, and she loves sharing them with everybody. And um, so whenever we're walking by her little secret shop, I would say to my kids, I like your shoes today. And they would just duck their head as we're, so we could avoid her secrets. And, um, and uh, so one day my son, he was about 11 years old, and we're walking through the mall. And I know this sounds silly, but it really was a teachable moment with him. And we're, we're, we're past her little secret shop, and we're going up the escalator, and there's a vinyl banner advertising this new makeup at her store. And there was nothing inappropriate about the banner. It was just this woman's face and this bright red lipstick. And I said, Bailey, I want you to look at this. And he looks over, and I said, Bailey, do you see those eyes? And he said, yes, sir. I said, do not trust those eyes. I said, those are deceiving eyes. Those are what dad would call bedroom eyes. And the only person that should look at you like that is your wife. And if anybody else looks at you like that, it's a trap and you need to run. I said, do you understand? He goes, yes, sir. And then we went and got ice cream. <laughs> because that's what you do after awkward 45-second conversations, right? I mean, you got to lighten the mood again. And, and, but it didn't take long. It, it was just a quick conversation, and then we moved on. And you know, I guarantee you, in the next 48 hours, God is going to give you an opportunity with your children or grandchildren to have a teachable moment with them. You know, you're going to be out there on the four lane, riding down the highway, and there's going to be some billboard with something inappropriate on it. Or, for crying out loud, dads, if you're watching anything sports-related on television with your kids, every commercial is something we shouldn't be drinking or touching or looking at, yes? And either you can act like your kids aren't seeing it, or we can just turn the TV off for a moment and have a conversation. You're riding down the interstate, and you see this billboard, and your first thought is, oh, Lord, please don't let my kids see that. And then you look in the rearview mirror, and your five-year-old's craning his neck to get one last look. You know, and you can just ignore it and act like, well, he, he doesn't know what he's looking at, or he could just turn the radio off and just have a quick conversation about what does it mean, the fact that we're made in the image of God and our value is not determined by the tightness of our genes or the makeup on your face or the complexion of your skin. And what does it mean to value and respect one another as men and women and not objectify each other? And these are conversations we begin to have with our kids when they were young. I mean, young, like nine years old, we're having our conversations with our children about purity. Not about pornography and sex, and they don't understand that at the age of nine, but we're talking about things of purity, and what does it mean to have a pure heart and a pure mind and a pure eyes, and be careful what you put in front of yourself, and so that you can, you know, always honor the Lord with your thoughts, and, you know, the, 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 your, the thoughts are developed by what you see and what you hear, and we're having these conversations with our kids who are little. And what happens is when you decide to have these conversations when they're young, that as they get older, it's not nearly as awkward. You know, I, I, we just gave our children permission that you are able to ask me anything that you want to, and I will always give you an honest answer. I will never say to you, this is not a good time. I will never say to you, I don't think you're old enough to know this. I will never say, whoo, that's a really hard question, you know, because if you're willing to ask me, then I'm willing to give you an honest answer. You know, we're going to walk together through this experience having teachable moments. My, um, I, what, what will happen is, is if you choose to do this when they're young, then when they are older, they will no longer see you simply as an authority figure. But then they will see you as an advocate. They will see you as a fellow sojourner. They will be willingly to invite you into their life as a teenager if you do your job of laying a spiritual foundation early.
My, um, my, my son, his freshman year of college, he calls me one night about 1230 at night. I'm in bed asleep and my cell phone rings and he goes, Dad, um, can I talk to you for a minute? Now, when your freshman calls you at college after midnight, this is never a good phone call, right? And so I turn the light off and I, I the light on and I sit up in bed and um, he says, uh, I'm going to put you on speaker, okay? And I said, okay. And he said, um, I'm sitting here with Zach and Zach was, was one of his roommates and I knew from a previous conversation that they had already been talking about salvation and that Zach was struggling with his faith and, and just feeling like the, the decisions that he was making, that God was going to reject him and wouldn't want him to be his, his child anymore. And he was just really honestly struggling with this. And so Bailey called and he said, so dad, Zach and I have been talking about this more. And we, we spent about an hour looking up verses together and I, I, I shared with him everything I know. And then Zach said, so is there anybody else that you know that we could talk to? And so I said, we could call my dad. And he didn't know it. I'm on the other end of the phone just crying out of honor. You know, that here's an 18-year-old that would choose to call his dad about spiritual issues. I mean, that didn't happen by accident. That happens through year after year after year of being intentional when they're young to lay a spiritual foundation so that you get to reap a reward of being a fellow sojourner with them as they get older. You know, let's move on. One of the other things that we see true, that was true in these lives of these teenagers when they left for college that had a sickly faith. Well, actually, let me pause for a second here. You know, I, I know being a teenager, it's kind of a precarious season of your life. Because it's, it's a season of your life where you're thinking, man, I want to blaze my own trail. I want to be my own person. I want to do my own thing. We all remember having those feelings as teenagers, and, and, and it's kind of a conundrum because, you know, I, I really believe that God wants that for you. God wants you to know your purpose for a living. He wants you to be your own person. He wants you to go outside of your parents' home and blaze your own trail. But here's the, the weird dichotomy in this is that the best way for you to experience that right now is for just this season, be, be willing to live under the authority of your mom and dad. And if you're willing to be humble yourself to live under their authority— then God is going to show you what your purpose is. He's going to show you what it means to be found in him. Now, I know as parents and grandparents, our first response is to go, amen. But just as Spider-Man told us, with great power comes what? Great responsibility. And if our children are willing to live humbly under our authority, there is a great responsibility that comes with that as parents. And we have to nurture that responsibility and not continue to come to our kids and say, uh, yes, no, sit down, be quiet because I said so. That my job is not to bark out orders to my children. That I see that in part what my job is to my kids is I want to be a yes parent. Now when I say yes parent, I don't mean like a yes man that does everything my kids want. What I mean by yes parent is that I think sometimes as parents, we, we live so arrogantly because we live as if we have all the time in the world. And yet the time that we have to maximize the influence in the lives of our kids is a short window. You know, I'm living with the reality. I just wrote on Facebook a few weeks ago. I was writing about my daughter. She had sent me a picture while she's off at college. And I posted it online and I wrote about her. And one of the lines I wrote in that post was, I'm living with the reality that my season of greatest influence is over. That we only get a short window. 
to impart God's truth to them. We'll always be a parent, but for just a short period of time, God has given us this season to live with them intimately, to influence their choices, their decision, their worldview, so that they can grow to become like him. And so I want, I want to be a yes dad. I want you to be a yes parent. What I mean by that is this, is that when the God gives you opportunity to invest in your kids with time, say yes. I just decided a long, long time ago that for me, that for my family, I, I, I envision it kind of like um, I, I spend a lot of time in hotel rooms, you know, as I travel full time. And every once in a while, late at night, I'll turn on the, turn on the television. There's nothing ever good on television past midnight. And so one, I, I'm watching this poker tournament, you know. I mean, you talk about getting sucked in, you know. I mean, I, I, it's like, you know, one o'clock in the morning, and it always starts with these eight people, and they're putting chips in. You know, you've seen how it happens, right? And it finally gets down to two people, and they've each got like, like a half a million dollars of a pot. And then finally, one of them just shoves all of his chips into the middle of the table. I remember sitting in my hotel room after midnight watching this, and this guy shoved all the chips in, and then he just stood up to see what's going to happen. And I stood up out of bed in my hotel room. And I was like, God, that's, that's what I want to do right there. Not play poker. What I really want to do is I'm pushing all my chips in, God, and I'm saying yes. Whatever you want for me, for my family, my answer is yes. I just want to be available to you to influence them for your benefit. So I, I remember just last year, my daughter on the way home from ballet, I, I went to pick her up and she goes, Dad, I would love a smoothie. Can we stop at Panera and get a smoothie together? My first thought was this, I don't want to spend $10 on overpriced smoothies. <laughs> my second thought was this, if I stop and I get a smoothie with her, I get a 45-minute conversation out of it. Yes, I would love to have a smoothie with you. When my son calls me and says, uh, hey, Dad, I know you're going, uh, you're going from Memphis to Nashville. Could you, you know, maybe stop by at my college? Because his college is in the middle. You want to stop by and have dinner on your way? Yes, I would love to do that with you. <laughs> because I want that time. One of the last conversations I had with my daughter before she left was, it was uh, I'm, I'm the night owl in our family, and, and, and uh, uh, they, they all put themselves to bed. You know, they all go to bed at 10 o'clock. My daughter puts herself to bed at 9 o'clock. I told her one day, I said, you're a sorry excuse for a teenager. You should be out causing mayhem, you know? And so I'm shutting off the lights in the kitchen, and, and I hear this voice behind me. It's about 1130, and my daughter goes, hey, Dad, can I talk to you for a minute? Yes. And we sit down at the kitchen table, and, and we began to talk. And well, well, it's not we talking. It's really her talking, because if it's a teenager girl, you really don't get a word in edgewise. And, and so she's talking, and, and honestly, I'm just trying to keep up, because if you ever have a teenage daughter who talks in a conversation, it's like every third breath is a new, is a new topic, you know? And, and so she's just talking and talking. The whole time she's talking, I'm praying. And it was a very simple prayer. God, would you just let her please keep talking? I don't even care what she talks about. I just want to hear her voice. I just want to be here in this moment as long as possible with her. Because I know she's leaving soon. Before we knew it, it was almost 1.30. And she just said, Dad, thanks for staying up and talking with me. I was like, Absolutely. I can't imagine anything more important than being here right now in this moment with you. We get to do this. It's such a short window with which we get to do this with. One of the things we see in, in the lives of these, these people that had a faith that was a sticky faith, and we see it's true in, in Paul's life with Timothy as well. And let me close with this. I, actually, you know, we're just going to punt. I, I tell you what, I'm going to leave all the bullet points, okay? And you can get the bullet points later for those of you who are detailed people, okay? Because let me close with this, because we only got a couple of minutes. 
There's a passage of scripture in the Old Testament. I didn't get to talk about this in the other services. And it's at the end of Moses' life. And Moses has become very acutely aware of the passage of time. He's like some of you guys in here with gray hair. Like you're very attuned to your mortality, yes? Like you're thinking, I'm just lucky to be here on some Sundays. And Moses, it's the last time he gets to stand in front of the nation and speak. You know, sometimes when I'm with my kids, I have to ask myself, is this the last time I get to talk to them? What do I want to say? You know, that we know that, you know, if you knew that this was your last week, you're thinking you're not planning out your summer vacation next year. You're not putting together your Christmas wish list. This is your last time. What are you going to do with it? And you're thinking, there's just some things I got to say to my kids. And Moses, he gets that moment. And this is what he says in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 5 through 9. He says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your strength. These commands I give you today are to be upon your heart. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you lie down, when you go along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door of your houses and gates. I'm sure you heard me emphasize some words there. Those are all verbs. When he says, impress these truths on your, your children, talk about them when you, sit at, uh, when you sit at home, as you walk along the road, write them as symbols on your foreheads and on the gates of your homes. And really what Moses is talking about there is it's one thing to drop our kids off at church for a retreat and say, go learn something. It's a whole nother thing to invite our kids into our lives and say, come and follow me because I'm following Jesus. Come and spend your money like dad because dad's spending his money like Jesus. Come and love your friends the way mom's loving our neighbors because I'm loving them like Jesus. And that word he uses there when he says, take these truths, and he says, impress them upon your children. It literally means to brand or to tattoo something. It's, it's as if like, we, 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 it, was, it was a cattleman. And he has a hundred new little calves. And he heats up this branding iron red hot. And he puts it on the backside of that calf. What does that brand represent? What does it represent? Ownership. It means from this day forward, that calf gets to sleep where he says it sleeps. It eats what he says it eats. It roams where he says it roams because he has become the calf's identity. Everyone in the community knows who owns the calf. And when, when, when Moses says to the people of Israel, to the parents and grandparents, impress the truths of God upon your children, he's saying we should be talking about the ways of God and the truths of God and love of God to such an extent that he becomes their identity. I was sharing with the parents yesterday that over 80% of all the media in a teenage girl's life, that means every website she looks at, every fashion magazine that she flips through, everything she watches on Netflix, every billboard in front of her eyes, over 80% of it tells her that she's not tall enough, blonde enough, skinny enough, and buxom enough. Basically, what our culture is telling our daughters is the way God made you is not good enough. Our culture comes to our sons and says, hey, you know what it means to be a man? You need a pickup truck and a gun and a football and a girl. I'm not against any of those things, by the way. What I'm saying is that we don't find our identity. That is not what it means to be a man. A man, you don't see a man, then you see someone that knows how to treat a woman with respect and dignity. You'll find a man. If you'll, you'll find a woman. And so it's our job to walk alongside them and to say, let me help you understand what it means to be a man, what it means to be a woman. So when, some, when your 14-year-old daughter and she's got some 16-year-old boy that comes to her and says, hey, I love you and you love me, so we can do this. This is what love is. 
In that moment, she better have the wherewithal to say, uh, I don't need what you're pitching at me because I know what love is because my whole life my dad's walked with me to help me understand the value and dignity and honor of a woman, and I don't need this counterfeit thing that you're offering me. When someone comes to your sons and says, hey, man, it's just a picture. It's just a video. It's no big deal. This is what men do. We get to enjoy this kind of thing. No one's really getting hurt. Then all of a sudden your son can say to his friends, no, I don't need that because I know what it means to be a man. We get one chance. We get one shot at this, guys. There's no retest. There's no redo. So I implore you with the time that you have to use it wisely to say yes to God so that they can grow up saying yes to him also. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for um, this whole weekend. It's been uh, wonderful for me to be here and given the privilege to stand on this stage and at the retreat speaking into so many lives. And Father, I just pray for us right now as moms and dads, as grandparents, as teenagers here in this room. God, I know we get bombarded every Sunday with new things, new ideas, new truths, and it's just hard to know what to do with it sometimes. Sometimes we leave out of here just feeling guilty. So God, I just ask that your Holy Spirit would just help us right now, that we would not walk out of here feeling um, burdened, but we would walk out of here feeling light and encouraged. You tell us that your burden is not heavy. So we pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit would help us to know what is just one thing that we need to do differently as parents, as grandparents, as teenagers, because of the truth that we've heard right now from your word. God, we, I just pray for these parents of young kids here in the room. God, that your, your Holy Spirit would just give them creative ideas to help them to know how to lay the spiritual foundation. God, I pray for the parents of teenagers here in this room. God, that you would, you would enable them with the time to be able to invest in their teenagers so they can reap that spiritual reward years from now. God, I pray for parents of college students and young adults and millennials here in this room. God, I ask that you would just help us to know how to release them into adulthood, how to set them up to be the men and women of honor that you have made them to be. God, I know it goes without saying that there's some of us in here that we have prodigals. That it just even hurts. It just hurts our hearts sometimes hearing messages about family because they've wandered away. And we just ask that your spirit would just continue to encourage us not to lose hope, not to lose heart, that your word does not return void, that the things that we've taught, the things we've said to them, they will come to pass. We pray that you would just, in your spirit, would just woo them back to yourself so that even they can be the families that you meant for them to be. We pray all of this for your name and your fame, Jesus. Amen. Thank you. God bless you.